0: Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm glad you're with me today because we are in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. You know, we have invested a great deal of time just studying verses 1 to 3 because the main point is that Christ is better than any prophet. He's better than any mere or mortal man. Christ is God we have worked our way through such important phrases like Christ is the radiance of the glory of God he's the exact imprint of God's nature and he upholds he sustains everything in the universe effortlessly simply by the word of his power. And today we come to the end of verse three, and we are just going to work our way through these incredible phrases of scripture, and we are gonna see how Christ, the pinnacle of his coming was that he would purify, he would purge, He would cleanse the sins of humanity. We are going to see how after doing this great work of redemption, he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, friends, we're going to have a great time exploring the word of God. now at the summit of verses one through three. And today I want to look at the closing phrase that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, what treasure there is to be found within these scriptures. What gold We are going to dig for it today. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I want to call today Jesus the purification for sins. Now, we're going to go in an odd sequence today. I'm actually going to begin in the middle of the phrase. And we're going to kind of skip around throughout the phrase, but I've got a pattern in my mind I want to take you through. Number one, I want to show you the problem of humanity. I want to show you sin. The reason Christ came was to deal with sin. Sin. So if you're going to take notes today, I rarely do like points where they all line up. That's, I guess, the Baptist in me. I grew up Baptist. But I rarely do that. But we're going to do that today because it's going to help us understand the text clearer. Number one, I want to see the problem, which is sin. Number two, I want to see the personhood of Christ. It is not a religion that has saved us. It is not a system that has saved us. It is not a church, culture, or organized religion that saves us. No, who saved us? The person of Jesus. The fact that he accomplished all of these great things. The personhood. We do not worship A church today, amen, we do not worship ceremonies or rituals or religion. No, we worship Jesus Christ, the personhood of Jesus. Number three, I want to show you the purpose for which he came. To purify, to purge, to cleanse the problem of sin. And then lastly, I want to show you the pinnacle. (laughs) Why is he appointed heir of all things, verse 2? Why did he create the world, verse number 2? Why is he the radiance of God's glory, verse 3? Why is he the exact imprint of God's nature, verse 3? Why does he uphold the universe by the word of his power, verse 3? And why does he purify sins? Why? For the pinnacle. That he would sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I'm gonna show you how that phrase, that the majesty on high, it's the only place in the entire Bible this word is used. And it's reserved for only one reason for Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 3, the entire objective of the writer of Hebrews, the reason we're reaching the summit today is because the author of Hebrews is trying to show people that Christ is better than anything in this life. He's better than a religion. He's better than priest. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than the prophets. He's better than it all. David said, your love is better than life. Amen? And if God's love is better than life, then God's love is better than anything this life has to offer. Friends, you will find your greatest joy. You will find your greatest peace. You'll find your greatest contentment. You will find everything you need only in the person of Jesus Christ and no other place including and especially the church. You won't find it in a church. You'll only find it in Jesus. What did Emily testify earlier? Until she met Christ. It's the only place it can be found. Why? Because he is sitting at the right hand of the Father on the majesty on high. We'll break all that down. Number one, I want you to note the problem. Now, why is sin such a problem? See, the problem is that you and I don't really see sin as a problem. We don't have the biblical view that sin ought, that we ought to have of sin. This morning, Sadie is so sick. You need to go to urgent care. Ah, I'll feel better by tomorrow. Not if you don't go to urgent care. Ah, I'll feel better by tomorrow. You know what the problem is with our, in humanity, our view of sin? We see the diagnosis of sin like it is a cold or a flu. The Bible sees it as cancer. Someone with a diagnosis of cancer cannot take aspirin, cannot take over-the-counter medication, No, they need a radical treatment. There is only one remedy for sin in the entire universe. There is only one remedy for this problem, for this calamity of sin. See, we see sin as mistakes. We see sin as missteps. We see sin as wrong intentions. We see sin as bad motivations. But no, do you know what the Bible calls sin? The Bible calls sin death. The Bible calls sin separation. The Bible teaches that what will eternally separate you from a loving God is sin. That is a calamity, and it is the calamity of mankind. And it is such a big deal that it caused Christ to leave the glories of heaven and come and walk this earth. It is such a calamity that it caused Christ to suffer throughout his entire life. It is such a calamity that it literally nailed Christ to a cross and shed his blood. Friends, sin is a problem. And you know what the old Puritans used to say. The old Puritans would say the eyes are made for two things. The eyes are made for seeing and the eyes are made for weeping. And the old Puritans will say people will not weep over their sins until they see their sins. Do you see sin the way God does? Do you have the biblical view of sin that God would have you to know? Or is your view of sin, I'm certainly not as bad as others. No, that's not a biblical view. Number one, I want you to note this in the text. Of all the unique glories of Christ that the author of Hebrews spells out, from he's appointed heir of all things, To the radiance of his glory, to him upholding the universe by the word of his power and everything in between. Why does he note it all? Because it all comes down to this he came to purify sins. But see, if you have a cancer of sin within you, but you treat it like a common cold, what did Jesus say? Do you remember what he said in the Gospels? He's a physician. And he's came for those who what? Who know they're sick. You can't help someone who denies their sickness. Do you understand? Do you recognize? Do you agree? Do you acknowledge? Do you see from God's point of view that you and I have the greatest calamity we could have ever imagined? And it is sin. We will not weep over it. Until we see it. And the only way we can see it is to take the biblical view of it. To call it what God calls it. Number one, the problem, sin. Number two, the personhood of Jesus. I want you to note this. It doesn't say that a religion came into the world. They already had Judaism. We've already seen that in verse one. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke To our fathers through the prophets. How did God speak? At many times in many ways. God spoke through commandments, God spoke through precepts, God spoke through prophets, God spoke through dreams and visions, God spoke through warnings, God spoke through natural disasters. God spoke at many times and in many different ways. But everything that God had to say to humanity, according to verse 1, was a fragmented way of saying it. It was not complete. But then, verse number 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. In other words, Jesus is the final and decisive word of God of God to humanity. Why? Because he, not a religion, not a system, not a church, not a ritual, not a ceremony, he, the Lamb of God, he, the Son of God, he, the radiance of God's glory, is the only solution for sin. You'll find it no other place. Number one, the problem, sin. Number two, the personhood of Jesus. Do you recognize Jesus as such in your life that you worship him? See, we get hung up in our church cultures. There are some people who would come to this church and they would not have been able to worship this morning because we have drum kit and bass and a live worship band and for some people, they would go, oh, no, 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 I can't worship to that. Friends, that's a preference. There are some of you, oh, watch out now, I'm blonde, I can't see if I make any of you mad. There are some of you that if you went to another style church this morning, that all they had was an upright piano. Or all they had was an acoustic guitar and they just sang old, old hymns. Some of you would say, I can't worship to that (sighs) because it's not your preference. There are some who love very fiery and boisterous preaching. And then there's others who like very calm and methodical teachings. I try to blend the two. There are some who like exposition preaching, verse by verse, word for word. There are some who like topical. But my point, brothers and sisters, it shouldn't matter our preferences. When we walk into God's house, now say amen if you're with me right now whether it's this house or it's another house, when we walk into God's house, we ought to check our preferences at the door and say, my eyes are on one thing, and it is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I had a lady one time who left our church. Unbeknownst to me. I didn't know it. <laughs> and I had eyesight back then. But I noticed I hadn't seen her in s- several weeks. And I went up to one of her family members and I said, oh, I noticed so-and-so hadn't been here in a month or so. uh, Is she okay? Oh, Pastor Chad, oh, I was afraid you were going to ask me that. (laughs) What happened? (sighs) Oh, Oh, I hate to be the one to tell you. Well, just tell me. (laughs) I mean... I didn't kill her, so it can't be that bad. Oh, oh well, well, see, here's what happened. She was sitting down in the auditorium one Sunday, and you walked right past her. Oh, I did. And you didn't speak to her. You didn't shake her hand, and you didn't say good morning, and you didn't even acknowledge her. So she says she won't be back. Huh. Well, friends, if you come to God's house for any, any, any other reason than to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, your motives are wrong. Your motives are off. Yes, we fellowship. Yes, we love. And by the way, I called that lady and everything was good. It, It was fine. But her motive was wrong. Her eyes were horizontal, whereas her eyes should have been vertical. Amen? And yes, there's fellowship, and yes, there's community, and yes, there's using your gifts. And yes, you ought to be in a place where you connect. You ought to be in a place where you click. Every church has its own personality, and you need to find one that matches your. Per- I, I'm not saying all those things have relevance, and all those things are true, but it doesn't trump the one reason why we gather together. We gather because of the person of Jesus Christ. No other reason. If we had come in here this morning and we said, hey, there's no coffee at the coffee bar, would you have been all right? If we had come in here today and said, no singing whatsoever today, would you have been fine with that? If we had come in and said, we're going to do one thing today, we're going to pray, would you have been all right with that? Would it have been a good church experience? Come on now, right? Oh, I'm getting on my soapbox now. <laughs> had a big sign on the church years ago, and I bought this website domain. and I, we, we had preachingchristchurch.com, but one day I went to eat at Jersey Mike's. Anybody like Jersey Mike's? Hallelujah, it's good food. I went to eat at Jersey Mike's and I was walking out of their door and they had a big sticker on their uh, door. And it said, we hope you enjoyed your experience. And I said, ooh, I did enjoy my experience. (laughs) And I liked that word. So I bought experiencepcc.com. And I made a big sign and put it on the building. Boy, the Holy Spirit wore me out. Chad, people do not need to experience your church. They need to experience Christ. Amen. That's the only reason why our gatherings should truly matter. Everything else is peripheral, Christ is the center personhood of Jesus. He is the heir. He created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, and he himself purged our sins. Can we thank God for that today? Amen. <laughs> the problem is sin. The solution Is the person of Jesus. No other solution exists. Number three, the purpose of his work. What was the purpose of his work? He came to purify. Now, I like this word. Now, some translations will say cleanse. I like that word. The old King James says purge. I like that word. He himself, the KJV says, purged our sins. After he made purification of what? The problem? Sins. He sat down. Now, what does it mean that he purified? I want you to go with me on a little journey for a moment. Go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. I want to show you something. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. You know, it's alarming today. How many churches will not mention the blood of Christ? It is alarming that churches remove the word blood out of their singing. It's alarming. There's no other way for salvation. I had a pastor tell me some years ago that his church voted to no longer observe communion because... You can't do communion without talking about the shed blood of Jesus. Friends, that's a dead church. That is not a Christ-centered church. If you remove the blood out of the gospel, there is no gospel. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Did you know that the word atonement is an Old Covenant word? Atonement is not a New Testament word. Atonement, used in the Old Covenant, means to cover sins. Remission, which is the New Covenant word, means to wipe it away. Christ is the Lamb of God who does what with sin, takes away the sins of the world. Amen. Now, Hebrews 9 13, note what it says. The blood of animals, the old covenant ceremonies, the old covenant sacrifices, they were able to cleanse only the flesh, only the bodies. In other words, only the outward. That's all that the old covenant sacrifices were able to do. In other words, it was limited. Highly limited. Now, if you keep your finger there, but if you go over a chapter and you read chapter 10, here's what I encourage you to do. Sometime this week, compare just the phrase we are in that after he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Then compare that and read all of chapter 10. And when you read all of chapter 10, oh, it's going to be like a puzzle just fitting itself together, particularly verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, particularly verse number four. What does verse four say? It says that the blood of bulls and the blood of goats, it is impossible to take away sin. But what does 12, 13, 14 say? But Christ, by his one single sacrifice, has perfected for all time the saints who are being sanctified. Amen? What the old covenant did. Now, don't say amen if you're with me right now. I don't want to lose you here. The old covenant that scripture calls the shadow, the shadow of what is the reality. Christ is the reality. The Old Testament was simply shadows, it could only cleanse the outward. It could only cleanse the flesh. Do you remember what Jesus told the Pharisees? He told them that they were like a washed cup on the outside, but inside they were filthy. Remember that? Whitewashed tubes. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. Now look at Hebrews 9, verse 14. What the old covenant could not do, it could only cleanse the outward, the blood of Christ can do. The blood of Christ cleanses inward. The blood of Christ cleanses the conscience The blood of Christ cleanses the soul. What the old covenant was limited, the new covenant is full and complete. Friends, this is why Jesus is the final and the decisive word of God to humanity because the Old Testament was fragmented, but Christ is the complete revealed revelation of God. See, this is why every world religion ultimately lacks at the end of the day every world religion tries to cleanse the outward only Jesus can cleanse the inward do you see why this <laughs> do you see why the author saves this for the last do you see why it's the summit today Yes, he's appointed heir. Yes, he's the creator. Yes, he's the radiance. Yes, he's the exact imprint. Yes, he upholds the universe. But what was the purpose of his coming? What is the pinnacle of his coming? What is the summit of all of this? The fact that he cleanses from within. Only Christ, only Christ could do such a work. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's why as we watch all of the forms of religion, people trying to earn forgiveness, people taking pilgrimages, people trying to find comfort, trying to ease guilt, trying to get their soul secure. No, no other place, no other place but the person of Jesus. 1 John 7. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, then what is the outcome of that? The ver- last phrase of 1 John 1:7, "The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins." Amen. Friends, have you been cleansed in the blood of Jesus? We are a church. Who will never stop preaching the blood of Christ? Because there's no salvation anywhere else but the blood of Jesus. And if you are hoping for forgiveness in any other way, through any other merit, by any other means, you will never have it. Because it is only Christ that has the ability to purify, to cleanse to purge, to take away our sins. Amen. Can we thank Jesus for his sacrifice today? Amen. So we've seen the problem. And what's the problem? The calamity of sin. We've seen the personhood of Jesus. He came. You know, I was sharing with the marriage conference. Let me just share this for 90 seconds. I was sharing with the marriage conference in February. You know, when Adam and Eve failed, you know, Eve was truly deceived. You know that, right? I mean, sure, she ate us out of house and home, but that's okay. She was truly deceived. God told Adam, To never eat of that tree before he created Eve. Adam was not the spiritual man. He was not the spiritual authority. He was not the spiritual leader that he should have been. Either he did not communicate that effectively to Eve, I don't know. He probably had something else on his mind. I don't know. I'm not going to judge him. Adam failed. Eve was deceived. Adam clearly rebelled. But we asked this question at the marriage conference. Adam knew that when Eve ate that fruit, that she was damned. He knew that she would die a physical death, as God said. Could it be that Adam was not willing to live for eternity without Eve? Could it be that he truly loved her that much that Adam was willing to become sin to not be separated from Eve? Do you know why I think that that may have a very strong biblical footing? Because what does 2 Corinthians 5.21 teach? That for our sake, Christ who knew no sin Became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Could it be that the first Adam sinned and failed because he didn't want to spend eternity without Eve? Could it be that Christ, because he loved us and didn't want to spend eternity without us, whereas the first Adam became sin and failed, the second Adam? Jesus became sin and succeeded, and he redeemed us. Amen. He dealt with the calamity, with the problem that nothing else in all of creation could have ever dealt with. And that's why he's worthy of our worship today. The problem is sin. The person is Jesus. The purpose is for the purification of sin, what the blood of goats and calves could not do, what the blood of sacrificing animals could never accomplish, Hebrews 9:13, Hebrews 10:4. Christ did accomplish, Hebrews 9:14, Hebrews 10, 11, 12, 13 and 14. Now lastly, the pinnacle. Note what it says: He sat down. Now let's stop right there. What does that mean? He sat down. In Scripture, sitting down refers to seniority. It refers to power. It refers to position. He sat down. That, oh, remarkable. It goes back to what he said on the cross. It is finished. Sitting down is a position of power and authority, and what it says is that the work is completely done. <laughs> Do you realize that in the tabernacle and in the temple, out of all of the furniture that God provided within the tabernacle and temple itself, do you realize that there were never a chair provided? You know why? Because the work of the priest was never complete. Hebrews 10, 1, 2, and 3, the work of the priest was continuous because sin was continuous. And a priest was never allowed to sit down and rest in the temple nor the tabernacle. But yet Christ, after it is finished, after he completed this great work, after he offered his blood to the Father, what does it say? He sat down, in other words, it's done. It's completely finished. Amen. Oh, I love chapter 10, I believe, verse 14. It says that by his one sacrifice we have been, we who are being sanctified. Are being that's an ongoing process. We who are being sanctified, He has already perfected. Oh, my goodness! Already perfect, friends. The work is already done, it's already accomplished. If you're someone that you're constantly trying to be saved, no, let me tell you, Christ already did it. Amen. Rest in His work, not your work. Christ. Did the work, and it's perfected, and it's accomplished, and it is finished. He sat down. Where did he sit down? At the right hand. Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, teaches that the power and the authority of God are in his right hand. And what does it say of Jesus? He sat down at the right hand. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, there are a couple of times we see Christ getting up from his seat. We see when Stephen was stoned. Do you remember what Stephen said that he saw? He saw the Lord Jesus standing. I believe Jesus gave Stephen a standing ovation. Welcome in. You know what else we see Jesus standing? Before the throne in Revelation 5. He stood as a lamb that was slain. Why does it say he stood? Because, friends, he's resurrected. He's alive forevermore. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Amen. And lastly, we see him standing when he's going to return in the clouds to come get his church. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And lastly, I'll note this, at the majesty on high. Now, this is fascinating in the original text of the Bible, in the Greek. This is a compound word, and it's found only here, nowhere else in the Scriptures. And do you know what it means? The majesty on high. It means the highest, most conceivable exaltation. It is the highest of all heights, and it's reserved. And it belongs to Jesus. Why? Because he's been given a name above every name. This text alone destroys the argument that Christ was simply a good teacher. That Christ was simply a good prophet. That Christ was simply a mere man. It destroys that argument. No, my friends. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. The pinnacle of his coming was to purge your sins. Has he done that for you today? Are you looking to any other hope? Looking by any other means? Looking in any other way for your eternal salvation? Any other place apart from the blood of Christ? Friends, you won't find it. You'll be found wanting. Has the blood been applied to you? Read Hebrews 10. As they sprinkled the blood. On the mercy seat. On the ark of the covenant. As they sprinkled the blood. It atoned for sin. When Christ. Sprinkled his blood. In heaven one sacrifice forever for all time never to be needed to be repeated again cleansed us have you been washed in that blood have you washed your robes in the blood of the lamb or are these all these stains of sin that nothing else will ever remit the blood of Jesus let's bow our heads Jesus will you help us see the problem of sin we will not weep for our sins until we see them will you give us eyes to see sin's calamity and the things that we justify the things that we sweep under the rug the things that we okay when it's not okay you open our eyes to the calamity of our sin. Will you show us the person of Jesus? Will you show us who you truly are? That you are the savior. You are the redeemer. Will you show us God your purification? Will you show us how you came to purge the sin out of our lives to truly cleanse us. Not outwardly as church would do. Not outwardly as religion would try to do. But inwardly. Where no human being has the ability to see, let alone heal, let alone save. God, would you cleanse us from Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.